Welcome to The Peel, where we break through the surface of sustainability in Florida and get to the juicy stuff at the center of it all. I'm your host, Amber Whittle, Executive Director of South Face Sarasota. We're a nonprofit that's increasing the resilience, affordability, and health of Florida's buildings and communities, and we're saving the planet along the way. Check out our programs and events at southface.org, Sarasota. Our guest today is Will Collier, South Face Advocacy Program Manager. Welcome, Will, and thanks for joining us on The Peel. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today, Amber. Really excited to be here. Great. So today we're going to talk about the IRP, which is the Integrated Resource Plan um, in Georgia. We have a similar um, process here in Florida, but it's called the uh, 10-year rate plan. Is that what it's called? I believe it's called the 10-year site plan. Uh, is, the is the equivalent uh, process in Florida? Great. So we just had a lot of progress made on the IRP. So Georgia Power Company's recent IRP just wrapped up last month and includes some exciting outcomes that are relevant to energy regulation here in Florida too. So why don't you give us um, a brief overview of what an IRP is? Great. Yeah, happy to do so. Thanks uh, for the opportunity again. So. Uh... To start, an I IRP stands for Integrated Resource Plan. So in its simplest terms, an IRP, if I use the Georgia case as an example, it's a 20-year plan that must contain uh, utilities' energy demand and energy forecasts for its service territory. So the utility uh, must describe this plan in detail. It must provide uh, forecasted requirements uh, to meet these energy demands in an economical and a reliable manner. Uh, to do this, the utility has to project what power plants maybe they need to close, uh, and they have to identify those and itemize those out. Maybe they have to identify new power plants or generation resources that need to be uh, opened or procured if they're not going to build the resource themselves. And it also includes a, a final piece of an integrated resource plan that's really important is called demand side management. So the things I, I discussed previously are what we call on the supply side, the generation resources that are used to create energy. On the demand side, we're referring to customer behaviors and activities that can reduce overall energy needs and energy loads uh, through things that we commonly call energy efficiency or load control or demand response. So these things can, can help reduce the overall energy needs of a utility. And so that's the other part of an integrated resource plan. And that's that's the way that the case works in Georgia. I think as we continue the discussion, I'll, I'll talk more about some of the specific regulatory uh, processes that are involved in the IRP and the DSM plan. Uh, but that's sort of a, a large overview where the utility needs to bring uh, both a forward thinking energy plan and a forward thinking uh, customer use plan before a public uh, body to, to be approved. So I guess our listeners might be thinking that the Georgia Power would just want more and more and more infinite customers using infinite amount of power, but that might not be true. Well, you know, uh, I, I certainly think there are instances in Georgia Power's integrated resource plan where you can see uh, examples where more energy use and more energy demand is ultimately going to result in 
uh, positive benefits for the company, especially as we move from the integrated resource plan now into, into the next case at Georgia, which is called the rate case, where we're deciding the uh, actual cost of this planning process. But in the IRP, as, as you suggest, one of the things that uh, the utility must be concerned about is overall energy loads, especially during what we call peak times. Uh, one of the complications in Georgia's planning process that was a big part of this uh, most recent IRP in 2022 was that the utility has to start planning for what, what's called a dual peaking system. So historically in Georgia, uh, most of the, the, the highest energy demand and energy use has occurred in the summertime when everyone's running their AC. And when you have that combination of that point in the day where people are running their AC and they're also doing their dishes and their laundry, you can hit these peaks of energy use and demand. Now we're seeing with, with uh, climatic changes that involve uh, shifts in the polar vortex, We've seen uh, colder ice events and, and cold spells in the U.S. South, for example, in Texas over the past several years, where we've seen energy use and energy demand increase significantly in the wintertime. And so that's something that Georgia Power has had to start to uh, explicitly plan for, and that's a big part of their IRP in 2022. Thank you. Yeah, and I think it's a really important point that not only does Georgia Power and all utility companies need to um, have a business model, but they're also ultimately responsible for making sure the grid is reliable. And those two things don't necessarily always go together. And so that's part of the planning process. It, exactly. That's absolutely right. And, and that's why the, uh, the Public Service Commission and, and the planning process itself is really important. Um, so one of the characteristics of an integrated resource plan, like we see in Georgia and other states across the U.S., but also in the U.S. South, is uh, an integrated resource plan done well is really focused around transparency, data transparency, planning transparency, both for the utility, for the public service commission, and for the general public. So the the public so to to briefly get into some of some of the sort of regulatory processes that occur in an IRP. The uh, Public Service Commission in Georgia is a commission of five elected uh, commissioners that each represent a district in Georgia, and those uh, districts make up constituents from Georgia Power. The Georgia Public Service uh, Commission is the regulatory body that oversees investor-owned utilities and electric utilities in the state. So that is the regulatory body that Georgia Power uh, presents its IRP and DSM plans to. Interesting thing about these commissions uh, is not, not only is the commission a five-member elected panel, but the commission also has uh, quite a number of staff that are devoted to researching and providing information on these cases. In Georgia, these staff are on, on these complex proceedings like an IRP. Uh, the staff are often broken into sort of two groups. One is a public interest advocacy staff. And so that staff, that commission staff, is, is there to advocate on the public's behalf. So they will present a case before the Public Service Commission based on the filing of the integrated resource plan to advocate for the needs of Georgia's residents and Georgia Power's rate payers. Does that They're, happen in Florida? You know, I... 
am not sure about the makeup of the com the public service commission in Florida. There is a I public service appointed. commission. There is a public service commission in Florida. I believe in Florida, the commissioners may be appointed rather than elected, as you just suggested. I, I don't know all the details of the makeup of the staff, but I would have to assume that there are staff here to support the commissioners in understanding these processes. I think there's a lot of differences that we'll we'll discuss throughout this podcast in in the way that those uh, regulatory processes take place in IRP versus a 10-year plan. And I think that the public interest advocacy staff is a part of those differences. Uh, this advocacy staff in, in Georgia uh, interacts a lot with public interveners who like Southface, who are engaged in this regulatory process to advocate on behalf of Georgia's citizens. And so the, the commission staff work as conduits and bridges between public interests, uh, public advocates, and the commissioners. And they're, they're a, a very important cog in, in this regulatory process. I don't think that that same level of interconnection, transparency, and uh, sense of collaboration necessarily exists from what I, what I see in the 10-year site plans in Georgia, but, uh, or I'm sorry, in Florida, but certainly uh, they have not been a large focus of my time, so I wouldn't want to want to speak uh, uh, concretely on, on that issue. Absolutely. So tell us, um, what are some of the exciting results of this process and this conclusion, the IRP? Sure. Yeah, yeah there we, we had some uh, really exciting results come out of uh, the 2022 IRP in Georgia. And you know, like any regulatory process, it's a compromise and it's a give and take. And throughout this process, uh, first, the Georgia Power presented its case before the, the commission. And then interveners, uh, public interveners or advocates like South Face and other organizations had an opportunity to make our case as well. And then over a period of uh, six months or so, we had several rounds of hearings and proceedings where we basically debated the different pieces of this integrated resource plan. Um, so I'll, I'll talk about some of the highlights that came out of this plan in, in what's called the stipulation agreement that emerges towards the end. And then I'll also highlight some of some of the things that South Face really focused on as well. Great. So, as as I said at the beginning, uh, there's sort of two parts to this: the supply side and the generation resources, and then the demand side, the energy efficiency piece. So, on the on the supply side, some of the really exciting things we saw in this most recent Georgia IRP is the retirement of quite a number of Georgia Power's coal fleet. So as with many states, uh, Georgia and many investor-owned utilities, uh, Georgia Power is um, retiring its coal fleet and in a process over the next decade or so of transitioning away from coal resources into renewable resources. And in some cases, especially Florida and Georgia, using natural gas as a transition uh, for better or worse. So speaking of that, uh, a couple of things that were maybe not as exciting for some of the clean energy advocates in this case is uh, one of one of the coal plants that was supposed to be uh, discussed to be retired in this IRP was sort of punted to the next IRP in 2025 in Georgia. These uh, these integrated review uh, resource plans, they happen every three years. Now, I believe in in Florida, the 10 year site plans happen every year annually 
But again, the process is is much less transparent. Uh, there is there's not an opportunity for discovery of different data and information uh, like there is in in the Georgia case. Why would it be called a ten year site plan if we do it every year? Yeah, that's a great question. And same same thing with the IRP in Georgia. So the integrated resource plan in Georgia is a twenty year plan, but it's presented and updated every three years. And so that's it. You know, we wouldn't want to create it. Uh, let's let's look out and make a plan for the next twenty years, and then not update that plan until twenty forty two, because things will change a lot during that twenty year period as clean energy transitions continue, as resource needs change based on demographic factors and and the rest. Is it and a so, rolling twenty years? So like that in three years you'll be looking at twenty forty five. That's absolutely right. It's a rolling, okay. it's a rolling uh, window of time that's updated again in the Georgia case every three years, looking 20 years into the future. And so in the Florida case, I believe those 10-year site plans are reviewed annually on a rolling basis, looking 10 years into the future. Um, but but again, those the processes there between the 10-year site plan and the IRPs have significant differences in terms of what information is made available to the general public and the different ways in which the general public can engage in those processes. Oh, so so now let me let me get back to your original question was <laughs> let's talk about some of the cool things in the Georgia stipulation and the IRP. Um, so one thing that a lot of the advocates didn't like that uh, happened is as a part of this coal fleet uh, retirement, Georgia Power uh, purchased some contracts to get natural gas from affiliate providers in the Southern Company to sort of, as they would argue, help this transition from fossil fuels to solar and renewable resources. Uh, a number of advocates, including South Face, argued that they should have gone more for solar and, and not depended upon these natural gas contracts, which are also owned by their affiliate uh, company. But that's a battle we didn't win. And so we have to take compromises. Uh, one of the things that we were excited to see but want to see more of is there were uh, so there were 2000 megawatts of those natural gas uh, fossil fuels procured, but there were also more than 2000 megawatts of uh, solar that was um, approved in this IRP process. Most of that is what we call utility scale solar. So there's solar projects that are large in size. They're not the type of solar projects that are sort of behind the meter, someone putting a solar unit on their household. And that behind the meter uh, residential solar is a big issue in the IRP that wasn't settled that will carry over into um, the case we're working on, the proceeding that we're in now, which is called a rate case. Uh, a couple of more things I'll highlight and then we can maybe segue and I have a few things I'd like to say about how this applies more to the Florida case and, and what your listeners might do to be engaged in this process. Uh, one of the things that South Face really advocated for that we're excited to see is uh, what we call all source procurement. And that is the idea when, when the utility goes out to acquire more resources, more energy resources, they have to do so in a way that allows for market competition. The whole reason these plans and these regulatory bodies are set up is because utilities operate as quasi-monopolies within their territories. There's not a lot of market competition. They're often the only buyers and the only sellers of the assets they're using. 
And so the regulatory body is the one who has to create the market conditions for this utility. So we're very excited to see this market-based competitive all-source procurement become a part of Georgia's Georgia Power's future plans for energy acquisition. And South Face also advocated very heavily on the demand side. So for energy efficiency um, improvements, that's also a, a large focus of our work in Florida as well. So we were super excited. One of the things we fought hard for and, and collaborated with the company to uh, get approved in this IRP is uh, modeling energy efficiency head to head with energy resources. So if you think about, I have a power plant, a coal power plant that produces energy, but then I can do things in my home to use less energy, energy efficiency. Often in the planning process, and you see this in the 10-year site plans in Florida, these things are treated separately. And when they do the forecasting and the modeling, they'll figure out all the energy needs before they subtract the energy efficiency. And that's not the most efficient or robust way to understand an energy system. Instead, what we've argued is that the company needs to treat energy efficiency as a resource in and of itself. And if people can reduce their energy load a certain amount, that should be treated as like sort of a virtual power plant. That energy has been saved. And so those savings should be modeled in a way that can be compared to energy generation. That's yeah, one Katie, of the Katie has talked about it in the past that Florida actually has um, less than 1% compared to 10% savings in other um, markets. What's Georgia at? That is a excellent question in terms of Georgia's overall energy efficiency and where it fits into a national ranking. You know, that the first question there is we would have to dive more into specifically Georgia power because Georgia, the state of Georgia also has other energy providers uh, uh, like EMCs or municipalities that will provide energy outside of that one investor-owned utility. Um, what I can say about uh, Georgia Power's specific demand side management plan is uh, we advocated for and were, were able to convince the commission to increase the energy efficiency investments the company has to make by 15% above what they had proposed in this IRP. And so for us, that's a huge win. Uh, using some of the tests that they use to figure out the customer savings, we estimate that, that will save customers about a half a billion dollars over the next decade in energy costs that otherwise would have gone on the bill. So there's significant savings to be had there. I think one of the ways that this relates to Florida and one of the ways that your that your audience and your uh, viewers might be interested in engaging in Florida is South Face is recently engaged in uh, what's called the FECA docket. And I am going to butcher this acronym, but it's basically related to Florida's Energy Efficiency and Conservation Act, FECA. Is, is the acronym. And uh, it is a docket similar to what, what we might see with some DSM uh, energy efficient, energy efficient uh, parts of the IRP in Georgia. The SPICA docket is a regulatory space to improve energy efficiency in Florida's homes. And if, so South if, listeners, if listeners want to uh, know more about that, they can listen to episode nine. Katie and I talked about that last month. So thanks for bringing it, that up again, Will. Exactly. No yeah, you all have uh, recently talked about it and it's something South Face is, is, is really focusing on. We've submitted comments recently to that FECA docket and are following it closely. 
And yeah, I would advise your listeners as well to uh, engage. That's an active, ongoing uh, regulatory uh, piece that your listeners can go engage in this afternoon, uh, uh, be a part of of that public process. Uh, Related to that, just a couple more things I want to say about what I see are some key differences between Georgia and Florida, and also the ways that your listeners might be able to engage in some of these processes. So I think one of the really important differences in the three-year IRPs of Georgia and the annually updated 10-year site plans of Florida is the lack of overall transparency and collaboration in the process. The IRP process in Georgia is very well established. Uh, Data is shared to all of the public and all of the public interveners and advocates like South Base and other organizations. And the proceeding process is a long process of public engagement uh, through a series of hearings and filings um, where we all have an opportunity to really pick apart and uh, debate and come to some compromises about what this uh, energy plan should look like. In in the Florida case, from my understanding, uh, it's it's all of that happens a lot more behind closed doors. There's not nearly as much publicly available information about the utilities plans and the utilities energy forecast in which public advocates can uh, engage in a process of of debate or examination of some of these plans. Uh, uh, Another thing is that a a big component of an integrated resource plan is that the, the utility must provide alternative scenarios. And so in addition to the to the scenario that they want, that they're asking the commission to approve, they have to provide a number of alternatives where they vary the amount of solar, vary the amount of renewable resources, vary the amount of energy efficiency. And so the public advocates and the public can see these alternative plans and use them to assess the value of the plan the company's proposed. But it's not not a lost, right? I mean, we do have advocates like South Face and others um, who are watching these rate cases and the FICA dockets and the 10-year plans and providing public um, input or providing advocating for the public and and from different perspectives. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Don't let let me tell too sad of a story about the situation because you're right. There certainly are folks on the ground like folks at South Base and other organizations that are putting in this work and and are are trying in, in, in some ways being successful to engage the Public Service Commission and also to link the public to these processes. Um, so yeah, you, you're correct, Amber, don't let me uh, sell too sad of a story about that. I think the uh, some of the ways in which it's done in Georgia are a bit more well-established and maybe a bit more fluid, easier to find information, easier to contact people. But I think you know that uh, speaks to Florida, it has lots of room to grow and improve on, on some of the ways that they conduct these plans. And South Face is a leader in that. And, and South Face is a big part of that. And that, that'll lead to sort of uh, my, my close here. One of the last things I wanted to, to talk about, and then we can, of course, uh, you know, go on forever as, as long as you'd like to talk. But uh, thinking about the ways that uh, the public and individuals or organizations or associations, community associations can engage in these processes. And so that's where organizations like South Base can, can play a really important role and be uh, not only a key advocate, but uh, a collaborator and uh, an ally to public interest. So uh, I would 
suggest that individuals or organizations, community associations in Florida that are interested in these issues can reach out to organizations like South Face who are putting in the work on the ground to be engaged in these regulatory process processes and we'll be glad to to link you with commissioners, link you with with people engaged in in this process or uh, South Face also has a membership you can join and we can keep you updated in our newsletters and you can engage with us uh, through through those different ways of South Face membership. Uh, a couple other things I'll mention uh, in terms of public engagement that I see in Georgia and I would suspect public engagement is similar in Florida. Uh, for the Georgia Public Service Commission, you have an opportunity to submit public comments, both through their website and in person at these hearings. Now that I think there are differences in how the public comments might take place in Florida and the opportunities for the public to make comments. But be seeing that these are fundamentally public regulatory processes and these commissions are in fact called public service commissions, the opportunity should exist. Uh, I would also suggest a meeting with commissioners in the state of Georgia. Again, these commissioners are elected officials, and so they represent constituents and those constituents have rights to talk to their officials about uh, their interests in clean, affordable and accessible uh, energy resources. Uh, other things that I might suggest is organizations like South Face will host events to engage in this process. So in addition to South Face engaging in the regulatory proceedings, we also try to engage through hosting events, holding workshops, uh, writing blogs, engaging with the press, through press releases to, to get the word out and keep the public engaged. So through events and workshops, there's there's other ways to stay involved. Um, and, and just keep trying to make your voice, voices heard in multiple ways, whether it's through public comments, engagements with commissioners, engagements with legislators, uh, engagements with public advocates like South Face, lots of ways uh, to be engaged and lots of work needed in these areas. Absolutely, and we always talk about how our Public Service Commission in Florida, you can email them. I mean, you don't need to know the wonky part of you know how the 10-year site plan works or the rate cases or anything. You can just write and say, you know, this is how it affects me. Um, I'm a huge advocate for XYZ, and this is why, and I think these changes should be made. And um, there have been a lot of really important um, progress made, like the TECO um, energy plan. You know, they, they incorporate a lot more renewable energy in it and are retiring their coal plants um, because of a lot of public input. So the public can be very important. And South Face is doing very important work. Um, it's It's not as sexy as rooftop solar um, and being able to advocate for that directly, but it's so important and affects literally everybody in the state. Absolutely right. And I, you know, two, two parts of that, I think is, you know, you're, you're totally right that uh, a, a lot of us advocates who are engaged in these proceedings will get caught up in the numbers and the details. And it's so much information that you, you get caught up in processing it. And then when you have a moment to read the public comments, it really grounds all of all of this, all of these complex issues in the lived experiences of, of the people who need and use this energy. And so I've, I've found as an advocate at South Face, I very explicitly when when I go down to the commission to engage in these proceedings, I always take some time to to read the public comments 
engage with the actual lived experiences of, of the things that we're talking about in all these proceedings and chambers, et cetera. So that's a, that's a great point, Amber, and, and one that I think is is at the heart of a public service commission. Well, absolutely. Thank you to Will, and thanks for listening to The Peel. To get involved with South Face Sarasota, visit southface.org Sarasota. Until next time, stay sunny.